0: Hi, this is the Robberator, and you can support my mad grab for power and the Sword and Laser podcast by going to Patreon.com/slash Sword and Laser.
1: Hey, everybody! Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont,
0: and I'm Tom Merritt.
1: Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, amazing discussions from fans just like you. But today we have a very special interview. I'm super excited to welcome onto the show again, author J.F. Dubow, the author of The Life Engineered, the very first Sword and Laser Inkshares Collection Contest winner to have his book published. Welcome to the show, J.F.
0: Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for writing an awesome book that we could make our second Sword and Laser published book, our first novel, First Ink Shares. So fantastic.
1: So many firsts. It's
2: wonderful.
0: You're welcome. Well, it's my first book too, so I'm super excited. It's
2: We're all in this together. It's been a wicked day.
0: So tell <laughs> How's us- that, like, I, Just before we actually get into talking about the book, how, how has it felt with like launch day and seeing your book available for purchase and it starts to rise to the ranks and people are tweeting about it and stuff?
2: It's, it's been a strange experience because the book because of the way the it's launched has been available in a lot of and in a lot of people's hands for uh, a week or two now so it felt very soft launchy in a way hmm. but at the same time there's been so much Twitter attention and Facebook attention that that's been gobbling up a lot of my time because I, I just feel compelled to, to to interact with everyone so
1: it was available via ink shares before it went live on Amazon is that is that how it
2: worked Yes, but at the same time, people who to order from Amazon would still be able to get um, physical copies early. That might be an artifact of the f- because I had the book on self-publishing on Amazon ah. in the past, so maybe they made it available, which may affect rankings. But whatever, I don't care as long as people are reading and enjoying it.
1: Tom, do you have a copy to show off? Is that what you were scrounging around for over there?
0: You you caught me. Um, it's upstairs. Oh, I forgot to bring it down. <laughs> Do you want me to run there and get it?
1: We are. Yeah, you go get it. You asked JF
0: about. Oh, he's got a
1: copy. Oh,
0: of course he does. Okay, good. Yeah, I built the fort. I'll
1: I'll click on JF's picture so it stays on him for a second. So, JF, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book? Give us the, the rundown for people who may not be familiar with what's going on.
2: So the book is set in the future. It is a future that is dominated by robots. Humanity is either, well, it's not extinct, but it is gone from the face of the galaxy. And the story follows uh, the main character named Dajir, and she is a newly created KPEC or Chapek, depending on how accurate you want to be with the pronunciation and she is basically in, new to the, this world and discovering how this robot society functions. At the same time, she's trying to figure out who murdered her creator, her, her robot mother, if you will, and as she's doing, learning about these two things, she's sort of unraveling this, uh, this situation that's slowly plunging her race of robots into, uh, towards a civil war that she's desperately trying to avoid.
1: So it's kind of like actually a sci-fi murder mystery.
2: Yes, but it's 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 because it's a murder, it's a murder mystery without having the whole who done it. Like it's there's no uh, there's no list of culprits that all end up in a drawing room at the ha- at the end, and then the main character points at each of them, accusing and then you know dismissing them as potential suspects. And it that doesn't end up being either the groundskeeper or the butler, but. You, you, you see what I'm going with?
0: Spoilers, that. jeez, it's not the groundskeeper. Okay, now we know. Um, so is it Capek or Chipek? Like, which one should we say? Say say the one you the one you want. Like the the
2: the name is taken from Jaroslav Chipek, uh, who is the Czechoslovakian author who first coined the term robot, the the, the word. And like I, I thought it was really clever with that. And it turns out that I've been pronouncing in my head Capek for so long. And that's how I still pronounce it in my head. But the pr- proper real pronunciation is Chapek.
1: Chapek, kpec Shanara, Shanara. you know, whatever.
2: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so exactly. if you
0: want to author, if you want to honor the author's original intention, you'll give yourself the backstory that over time, uh, accent drift made it kpec But then if you want to be accurate around checks, then you say Chapek. Is that it? There you go.
2: If All you want to avoid right. a a fight with a check, then just
0: yeah, pronounce
1: it. What did you call that, Tom? You called it not not accent drift or language yeah, drift. Yeah, I just what made that up. Accent drift. I, I like that. That's good. That that makes sense. There's got to be a real word for that. I bet somewhere. Yeah, yeah but Probably. that one
2: sounds so modern.
0: I it does. Steal. I was
1: like, wow, Tom's really smart that he knew what that was. That's the key cool. to
0: sounding smart. You just make stuff up.
1: I do it all the time. Um, So speaking of people who are very smart, we have a whole host of questions from the Goodreads audience. Uh, Tom, why don't you kick it up with uh, Kara's question?
0: Yeah. So she's got a good one. Uh, Kara says, I found the lack of human bodies sort of interesting relief. Uh, no worries about desire suffocating, no need for any of the Capex to experience physical pain if they so chose, and no distractions due to sex. I had to completely reorient my expectations and it was really fun to read, but it got me thinking. If Capex are the final personality produced by many reincarnated lives, wouldn't there be a disconnect between their lived physical experiences and their Capex reality? Why isn't that disconnect dangerous? This line of thinking has lots of implications, but I'm sticking with one question. I already know sex is out of the picture, but what about platonic or romantic love?
1: A lot of well, questions in there, actually.
0: And yeah. I, I can
2: almost rapid fire these very, very easily. Uh, first of all, yes, there is a disconnect and it's dangerous. It's this? It's almost the theme of why some of these robots, which are meant, they're supposed to be sort of psychologically perfect, turn out not to be. Um, they can have sex and that is because if the, in, in the story there's a some some of the, 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 the characters can use, well, they're born out of a form of virtual reality, if you will. Their personalities are sort of incubated that way and some of them can use these virtual realities as forms of entertainment, which allows them to go into these virtual realities and engage in whatever activities they want if they show so, if they show desire, so it is possible. Whether or not it is common for that for a race of artificial intelligence creatures, probably not. However, uh, if if there is love, platonic or romantic, yes, definitely. Like the, it wouldn't be as binary as we're used to seeing it as human beings because we have an imperative towards biological reprodu- reproduction, which sort of. I don't want to say forces us, but guides us towards forming couples. So you remove that kind of binary situation, but people will form a relationship of different depth, all from on on a spectrum from superficial relationships to deep uh, romantic love.
1: So, so are, they, yeah. are they having virtual reality sex? Is that what you were saying? That that's something that they could do if they wanted to?
2: It's something they can do. It is something some of the characters that haven't been that aren't in the first book might be in the second book, probably definitely will be in the third book uh, We'll will, will be
0: doing. So the porn industry is still driving technological innovation.
2: Um, you know what? I believe that the entirety of the, the future dominated by robots is just because the, the human factor in the porn industry was probably too limiting to what uh, the porn industry wanted to do.
0: There
1: you go. <laughs> I like it. I like to think that in the far, far future, Rule 34 still applies somehow,
2: somewhere. It, it becomes the only rule. Everything else is just a sub-rule.
1: <laughs>
0: Three rules of robotics? Screw that. Rule 34.
1: 34 the 34 rules of robotics that's the that's the name of this episode okay uh paul wants to know uh, how many lives have you went through at this point have you reached nirvana
2: Uh, no clearly because i'm still here and how many i wouldn't know because you you're only really aware of your artificial nature between cycles
1: that was a deeply technical answer i like yeah
2: Kind of well, if, if you read the book, probably you understand, maybe yeah.
0: not. I mean, maybe I'm too much in my own stuff. Kind of depressing, but un, not unexpected, frankly. Uh, has JF actually been to Somerville, Massachusetts? Asks Joanna. The description from the book did not jive with my impression of the place.
2: yeah, okay, here's here's a story of that. I had some a very specific list of um, criteria I needed for a setting. And I asked some of my buddies on the internet, which about almost two and a half years ago, I needed a place where someone would probably sell drugs, but that wouldn't have a big police station. And and someone just said, oh, that's easy. Somerville, Massachusetts. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I used to I work in Somerville. This
1: makes me laugh. Okay. Yeah. That's- I just
2: ran with it. And since then, I've had, I've no one's been satisfied with my description of it. Uh, either people say, oh, you make it sound too bad and other people will say oh we call it Slummerville. so you're probably too kind to it so i honestly no i've never been uh, i will go i just it's not even that far it's probably a 4 hour drive um, the excuse that it isn't a virtual reality is what i'm kind of leaning towards it's lazy storytelling on my part and i do admit it and i i plan in the future even if i think that a real-life place is not going to be important in my story, I am probably going to do a bit more due diligence in the future for
0: it.
1: It's a good excuse to go travel places for research.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and if you have people telling you you're being too kind and people telling you you're being too hard on it, you probably struck the right chord is my way of thinking.
1: Yeah, it's, I, fun, to, it's fun to piss off people from, from Massachusetts too anyway. So <laughs> it's okay. Says the
0: woman born in Connecticut.
1: Yeah, I'm not biased.
2: They get, yeah, they get wicked angry.
1: Wicked pissa, dude. Wicked pissa. <laughs>
2: Amazing.
1: Um, so our next question comes from Brian, and he asks, uh, "Was there any real life inspiration for the character of Dajir, or or in devil, or Jonathan? Excuse me if I'm mispronouncing names,
0: as I it's always Jonathan. do."
1: Jonathan. Jonathan. Is that how? Is that right? No.
2: No, uh, yeah, just Jonathan.
1: No, oh, the the joke is that I messed up a very easy name. JF, that was a, the joke.
2: Yeah. I'm sorry, I, you're, you're a professional broadcaster, so I don't have that. <laughs> I don't have that in back of my mind that you mispronounce things.
1: It's okay. So, what? So, were there any real life inspirations for your characters?
2: Jonathan is basically an amalgamation of every pleasant uh, five to eight year old I've ever met. So, any any character trait, whenever I've had a. a a happy, pleasant, no-crying interaction with a child. It's it's basically that's what Jonathan is because he needed to be endearing to uh, to, to both my main character and to the readers. Um, as for Orvendil and there, I would have to do a bit of soul-searching to see if I might have subconsciously taken something from them. I think Orvendil actually takes a lot from me because he does a lot of over-rationalization and ex builds these kind of artificial excuses for um, what would co- be considered reprehensible behavior. As for this year, I don't know. I Maybe, but not nothing conscious.
1: Yeah, I feel like a lot of times when we create characters, there is that kind of, that fuzz of all the people we've met in our lives. And, and once you start creating the character, traits from certain people start kind of leaking in. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, they become this kind of a hybrid chimera of various people, and yeah. Désir turned out to be a bit of a surprise as a character because she, she wasn't even meant to be a female character until like I kind of realized it. Just her personality was going that way, and that's how she would identify. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: I, well, I think Brian was more literally wondering if you knew any artificial intelligences. Well, I can't talk about it because they'd yeah. have me eliminated. Right, right, of course. Uh, let's get to a question from someone who calls themselves G. Derek. Hmm. which is quite a coincidence since the next Inkshares book is written by someone named G. Derrick Adams. Probably not the same person. Can't be Probably the same person. Probably not. Right? That'd
1: be weird, yeah. This
0: G. Derrick says, uh, there's some very quiet and interesting gender identity discussion in the book. Will this be a more central concept moving forward in the series? And it sounds like, Desire's character actually sort of rose out of that in a way.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a difficult question because in a way as a white heterosexual male in my late late 30s, I am not what one would call, call qualified to really do an in-depth exploration of gender identities um, however, it does turn out that gender identity is something that is present with the characters, especially if I want to explore like romantic or platonic love and relationships between these these artificial intelligences. So it's it's not something that I am going to explore in the sense that I'm going to stake a claim to having any kind of knowledge or experience. I'm fortunate enough that I knew, know a lot of people in LGBT uh, communities. i um, friend with the the amazing Abby Wessel who is a transgendered woman who's super smart and I can sort of ask her questions about that kind of issues. Will it feature as sort of an artifact of how the world is built? Definitely. But I I don't think I'm going to go beyond just I, – I want the story to feel real and I want the characters – Because I have the privilege of being a a fiction writer, I can build the world as I would like to see it. So while I will be presenting characters that have various interesting, maybe creative approaches to gender identities, it won't be something that's going to be sort of held up as a banner, if you will, because it's going to be natural to the world, and that's the world I want to see. So that's the world I'm going to write.
0: Cool. Awesome. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, totally. it made a lot of sense okay. to me. I
1: mean, it's it's always very difficult to to write from a different perspective, um, but that's you know it, it takes a lot of work to kind of write convincingly from a from a very very different point of view or perspective from your own. So it's it's a challenge, and a lot of well, a lot of authors struggle with that.
0: And Charlie Jane Anders just wrote a really good uh, t- t- column on writing where she talked about. Forcing yourself to look at the blind spots in your writing, and that's 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 not particular to gender identity and writing about other genders and, and things, but it's it's what you're talking about, which is not not overstating your competence to do it, but kind of forcing yourself to look at those sides of the things that you don't have the natural uh, experience with. Which I think is I'm right.
1: going to write a, I'm going to write a book from the perspective of Donald J Trump, Drumpf, Drumpf, Donald Trump. Donald J Trump. Donald Trump.
0: I hope
2: it's a comedy. It will. No, it,
1: what the, else the, could the it point? be?
2: <laughs> the A point horror is story. I, Sorry. Oh, out. A horror comedy. There you go. No, the, 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 my my point is, that I I can't avoid bringing gender identity into because I've already done it in the first book, so it's some something that's going to get explored. I just I just don't want to misrepresent it by you know, yeah, o- yeah. overdoing it. Well, our next
1: question from Xavier uh, says, in the life engineered, you limited yourself to the viewpoint of Dajir, which we've been discussing a little bit. Uh, but in the teaser for Arc Android, we see through a new character for the chapter. Will you be changing viewpoints in Arc Android? If so, any chance we get a part through the mind of a von Neumann? Neumann?
2: I I, I think it von Neumann.
1: Neumann. Okay. I, I'm thinking of like Neumann Mike's. So that's
2: just where I said that mm. from. Now I'm going to have to look up what the right, pr- the pr- proper pronunciation for that is again. Um, I will be changing point of views. Actually, I might be going through a third per- person. Right now, I'm, I'm almost done with the first draft of the sequel. And it's been f- jumping from one character to another uh, between three main characters and sticking to first per- person point of view. But I'm going to see how well that tests with better readers and if it's... If it's not comfortable, I might make it uh, from third person. As for seeing through the eyes of von Neumann, probably not, because it's—I don't know—I just don't have a—I don't have a character that really is appropriate for that in, the, in that story. Maybe in, in, in further books, if when when I get to it, I do have a really strange character whose viewpoint I viewpoint I'm exploring. A, uh, well, I don't, I don't want to give anything away, but I have something that might be considered even weirder than a von Neumann. All right. And for those who are confused as to what we're talking about as a von Neumann, it's not a spoiler to say that they're basically robots with one mind spread across many bodies, which is why they have a very strange point of view.
0: Distributed. Distributed intelligence. Intelligence, yeah. Yeah.
1: I think you're uh, right. I think it is Neumann. I think you're in the clear. Neumann! Oh, my God.
0: uh <laughs> So you talked about the fact that you are you test your writing and uh, and and I know you probably. Don't want me to out you on this, but you've been very, very helpful with my own writing and and helping, giving me another perspective and encouraging me to do the same thing in testing. So we've got a couple of questions from people that want to ask you about your writing process uh, and the publishing process. Jay says, I'm trying to get my ideas on paper and start writing a lot more than I think I should be doing. So I wanted to ask about your writing habits. If you have anything unique that helps you get all of your great plot ideas onto paper. Um, I don't know if it's unique, but I do.
2: Um, I, I'm not really good at pantsing, if uh, I think is the term that's used uh, amongst uh, amongst writer. Basically, I'm I'm a plotter. I like to sit down and what I usually do is I start with a general idea of what I hope and like to think is a unique concept and sort of build a very very simple story around it. Like if, if I can write maybe a one or two sentence story based on that cool concept, what I think is a cool concept, and then I I embellish. I'll create a bunch of characters that I think are cool, I'll come up with a bunch of set, set pieces that I think all, are cool, and I'll have my general plot line, and I'll write all of these on electronic uh, index cards, if you will. And from that point on, I'll try to add as much meat as possible until I get to sort of a uh, critical mass where Plotting is not as fun anymore. Basically, I'll, I'll overexcite myself with plotting until I get to the point where it's like, okay, enough. I need to write this, and then I'll do a first draft. And basically, I'll uh, at that point I should have a, a good outline of the various acts of my of my uh, my book. How each act is divided. I'll have a list of some of my major, my, my main characters or some secondary characters, and a few either plot points or set pieces, like specific scenes that I think are cool that should be in the book, I'll, I'll have all these ready and I'll be able to sort of jump from one another and, and and build whatever mortar needs to exist between these different pieces.
1: Fascinating to me how different people do this and, and yeah. all the different methods people have for, for plotting things out and, and basically figuring out what it's all going to look like. It's, it's, uh, it's very personal.
2: Yeah, it's it's one of the things that I find fascinating about talking to other writers. Like uh, Tom and I have exchanged some emails, which I found absolutely fascinating because it allows me to see like, oh, he does it that way. And it's it's fun to see everybody else's process. Which I think is why the, the question, what's your process, is probably one of the most common. Not necessarily because we don't know what to do, but it's fun to see what others, how others approach it.
0: Well, yeah. I don't know. I know when I was first starting to write myself, I wanted to know what the process should be, right? And and you very quickly realize there isn't the process. There are all kinds of different ways, like you say. And so then it becomes like, oh, well, what does this person do so I can see if there's any ideas that work with my process and would make it better? And then it's that chimera again. You start to like pull together different ways of doing things.
2: What what I find useful about seeing other people's process like a lot of times when I hang out and talk to other writers, either on forums, Facebook or whatever, I end up, everybody has this point where they say, oh, I, I'm blocked with this. And it's usually when you talk to someone else about how they do things that you'll see, oh, you're doing this one trick, this one little thing that would allow me to get through this one blockage. And the more you learn these various tricks and these various techniques, the easier it is for you to sit down and go, okay, well, okay, I have, I have this blockage, but I'm going to use this technique to get over it. Or I'm going to prepare in this way so that I don't encounter these problems during the process.
1: It's you know, if you have a fun. blockage, uh, fiber definitely is, is good. I'm sorry.
2: I'm sorry.
0: Scotch is fiber, right?
1: You d- totally.
0: Sure. Post, yes. I think what, what JF's trying to say is, is that, um, uh index cards are the fiber of writer's block.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Uh Joanna also has a question, kind of about your process. Uh, she says, I'm curious about the entire Inkshare's process and how it compares to traditional publishing, although I don't know if he's traditionally published. Uh was it hard to sort of switch gears from basically a sort of Kickstarter self-promotion to working with a full team? Uh would Inkshares handle any future sequels or stories in the same universe if the Life Engineered gets enough popular notice?
2: I I love this question because one of the things about Inkshares when I first jumped on board, I jumped on board because of you guys. I saw the contest through someone else I know who was participating, and I went, oh, I love Sword and Laser, and I write books. This kind of works for me. But one of the biggest worries I had with Inkshares was there's so many self-publishing and uh, vanity press options on the internet that sort of try to masquerade as legitimate publishers that... I had this worry, like, oh, who who are these guys? Like, am I am I going to end up tied into a contract where I'm essentially self-publishing under a, a different banner? So I, I, I had a, a Skype call with Jeremy Thomas from Inkshares to sort of get a better idea what they were doing, and but even then, like I that convinced me to participate, and you guys were nice enough to pick my book, and then I got into the actual process. And it was the most reassuring, professional and entertaining thing I probably have ever done. Uh, First of all, to anybody that's participating in any contest right now with Inkshares, if you win, congratulations, you've won a second job. I don't know how that makes (laughs) you feel. But one of the things that became very clear with Inkshares as far as the the, the process, once your book is picked up and being published, they hand... Uh, they, they work in tandem with a company called Girl Friday Production, which are super good at what they do. I've, I love working with their designers and especially with uh, my developmental editor, Cleet Smith, was just amazing to work with. So much fun. Um, but the thing is, even if you get your standard without winning a contest, go get your funding It's not enough to pay for the production, printing, distribution, which means that ink shares is investing of themselves. So they don't see money if the book doesn't have some level of success, which means that they have a vested interest in making sure that your book is of a high enough quality to eventually generate profit. Henceforth, it's not a vanity press. They're going to put a gun to your head and say, make a good book, sucka, or um, we're in trouble and you're in trouble. So, in, in in a way, there's a lot of pressure behind it, but these guys, first of all, it, they act like a team. They, you're part of their team. You feel like they're coworkers in a way, not not the unpleasant coworkers that steal your lunch, but the cool coworkers that you you have lunch with and have a drink after work with. So. It's a super pleasant experience. Everybody wants the book to succeed. Everyone wants the, books to, the, the book to be of a higher quality and, and it shows at every step of, of, of the work process. But it's work. It is, <laughs> they make you work for it.
1: <laughs> nice. Well, that's good. I mean, it's it's at the end of the day, it's it's going to be an awesome product, you know, when you have the, those many people, talented people working on a project like that. And I, I don't mean that to sound like it's a kind of project by committee, because it's not. I mean, if you were to be working with a traditional publisher, it would be much of much the same, I would imagine, if not more people involved. Um, but it does. You, yeah, you get professional help, which I think is is really great for, for a lot of first time authors. That was
0: it's, the one it, thing that. Oh, go ahead, Jeff.
2: Well, I, I was gonna—I was just gonna say, like, one of the things that I think is a bit you know, maybe disingenuous is that they, they call it crowdfunding, where it feels more like crowd voting because it helps select the book, but even the pre-orders don't aren't what finance the book completely. So it's really—it's really just about replacing the slush pile by people uh, investing in the
0: books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the thing that I I didn't I mean I knew that was the idea but I didn't really understand it until we watched you and G Derek go through the process for the first time and I was seeing a real publishing house in work, right? I was seeing editors and designers and people weighing in and publicists, you know, planning and I was like this is this is no joke. Like this is this is what a publishing house does and they're doing it for our contest winners. That's fantastic.
2: It, it is an amazing experience, and I, again, like I have you guys to, to thank for, so always gratitude. Well,
1: thank you for writing such an amazing book. We're very excited for you, and where can people follow along with all your your progress and, and what's up next for you?
2: Well, I need to better centralize all my efforts. Um, I do have a website co- at uh, jfdubo.com. It's a very simple website that uh, tackles all of my interests, including my writing, but uh, other endeavors that I'm working on, less important, but maybe just as entertaining to others. Uh, I can be followed on Twitter at jfdubo, or you can find me uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash jfdubo.rider.
1: Awesome, and for us, uh, we are crowdfunded, and it's real crowdfunding, uh, over at patreon.com slash laser. so thank you to all of you out there who kick in a little something something every month to help support the show and, and keep us in, uh, well, not whiskey today, but uh, tea. Tea, keep us in keep us in tea. Thank you.
0: Yeah, tea, whiskey. Tea and podcast. Sometimes whiskey and your tea. Uh, mm-hmm. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. Uh, find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser dot com slash picks. Click on any link on that page, and then we get credit for anything you buy, even if it's not exactly that book. Uh, and actually.
1: I was going to say, we have a banner. We have a new banner on the website that is an Amazon banner. And if you want to go shop at Amazon, but you don't want a book or whatever, you can just click on that banner. Yeah. It takes you to Amazon. And then if you want to buy a TV through that link, I mean, that you can will do definitely that. help us out too.
0: Sure. People were
1: no. emailing us asking for that. so I I mean, if
0: it. you want to buy a $1,700 Kino Flow Diva DivaLite for your video podcast, you could do that. You could do that. <laughs> We're not saying you have to. You can just buy JF's book through one of those links. I mean, whatever you want. Swordandlaser.com slash picks.
1: And of course, you can always get in touch with us at feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye.